Welcome, Welcome to the Bacon Game Sports Pod. Your source for the latest on baseball, football, and whatever else he feels like talking about. Get ready. Here is your host, Jesse. Hey, hey, ho, ho. What's up, guys? It's Friday night, and uh, I'm going to record this podcast and hopefully get it out in the next half hour. Cool. Um, so the first thing I want to talk about is the Kansas City and Titans game. Um, I watch a lot of film. If you follow me on Twitter, at SSDSL on Twitter, um, you'll see that I posted about the Titans and uh, Kansas City game. I think they're the, uh, the reflection, I want to say the reflection, but... I watched uh, the Week 10 game where Patrick Mahomes was returning to the team playing the Titans, the 35-32 game that the Titans beat Kansas City, and I wanted to just share my uh, notes or my takeaways from that first, so let's get into it. Um, my biggest takeaways and notes from my rewatch of the game, and I also rewatched Kansas City against Houston, and I rewatched uh, Tennessee versus Baltimore to get like an idea of where they are now compared to where they were before, right? Um, it's always good to rewatch that stuff, and I have Game Pass, so I always just watch the, the coach's tape and the rewinds. All right, let's get into it. Um, the Titans... I think the real key is the Titans ended up winning because of turnovers and mistakes the other teams made uh, in Week 10 and against the Ravens. They also don't make any mistakes on their side of the ball. They don't fumble. Ryan Tannehill doesn't turn the ball over, which I think is just generally the key to win a football game, right? Just like regularly, but um, especially for the Titans, they, they do a really good job. Um, all they need to do is manage the game script. Like I'm sure everyone, every talking head has said, manage the game script. Ryan Tannehill is able to put up two touchdowns, get him up 14-0 early like he did against the Ravens. This team should be on a path to victory, right? Um, another thing I noticed was the Titans offensive line was playing way better than when they played uh, Kansas City in week 10. So I think that's important, especially for the running game. They've been way better in the run uh, than they were for most of the season and definitely for uh, their Week 10 matchup, right? Uh, let's see. Tannehill's been slaying it all season long. He just won, uh, I think it was the Associated Press's Comeback Player of the Year. Yeah, I think Associated Press Comeback Player of the Year. Well-deserved. Number one PFF uh, rated quarterback in the league. It's pretty impressive considering where it was last year in Miami. Um, anyway, he needs to keep playing aggressively conservative, which I know is a weird turn of phrase, but uh, basically when he's asked to get first downs, when he's asked to make big plays, he does. And when he's not, and when he needs to get just a few yards or just take what the defense is giving him, he's able to do that. He's also been running the ball very effectively. Maybe not a lot, but effectively to get first downs. Um, again, puts them up early. This this team can definitely uh, hang in their win. Also, I think Tannehill might have the stuff to compete against Kansas City if it goes into a shootout, which I really like give it an 80% chance to like, go into a, uh, probably a... Uh, a shootout, I think? Yeah, probably. Anyway, um, let's move on to the Chiefs, how I thought about the Chiefs. Uh, they just, they seem like an unstoppable force on offense. Mahomes does unnatural things. This isn't news to anyone who's been following the NFL, um, but even when he came back in Week 10, he looked extraordinary most of the time, although he did get off to a slow start. Um, also, this isn't uh, to take away from Tyreek's skill, because Tyreek Hill uh, is just, <laughs> I mean, he's hes a monster. He's the new X-Factor that they need to stop. I know they're able to stop Lamar Jackson, but Tyreek is a whole nother uh, level of player, they, and a whole other level of athlete, really, that thing to stop. Uh, uh, the Chiefs' defense also has gotten better in the season as it's gone on. Uh, it's gotten better since the Titans game in Week 10, even though I think they did a pretty good job originally on the on the Titans when they played. But uh, the Chiefs just need to not make mistakes. Like, they need to not get their punts blocked. They can't fumble and turn that into a touchdown, 
which is, I think, doable for Mahomes. I know he's a gunslinger, but he only threw five picks this year. I know he played 13 games, but he only has thrown five picks this year, and I think he can take care of the ball for being such a gunslinger. So while this game, and if you read the, read the website, I already predicted uh, against the spread and straight up, I think Kansas City is going to win this game. I think it's going to be a shootout, or it's like 80% going to be a shootout, but there's obviously a chance that it's going to win in any situation unless you're playing the Patriots and they've paid off the refs. LOL, that's a joke. Not, not how I really feel. I'm just a salty Jags fan from 2017. But um, I really think that there's a, just a chance. There's always a chance Titans can win, but there's like a 75 to 80 to 85% chance that, that Kansas City is going to win because their defense is markedly improved. Um, okay, let's move on to baseball. That's enough for football. Um, if you want to know more about my feelings on Green Bay and San Fran, uh, I might do a short thing before the game on Sunday, but I think it's straightforward that San Fran is just the best team in the NFL, the same way that Kansas City is the best team in the AFC, San Fran's the best team in the uh, the NFC, and also probably the NFL, but they, they just outmatch the Packers almost everywhere except quarterback, uh, especially for coaching too. Uh, San Fran, I, I love Shanahan, he'll outcoach LaFour all day, I think. Um, but yeah, let's move on to baseball. Okay, cool. So I promised that I would get back to talking about the rest of the arbitration hearings. So I'm just going to go through that real quick. I've got like five points to talk about um, with the rest of the teams that I didn't get to on uh, Wednesday or Tuesday. I think it was Tuesday when I put out the last pod. Okay. Um, the Phillies didn't get a deal done with JT Real Muto, which I think is pretty huge considering they acquired him as a long-term answer to the catcher position. But maybe... They're skeptical of his production or willing to uh, to wait it out and risk him walking. Like we talked about before, there are, there are examples, I think, on both sides of players walking and, and staying away and not be affected by arbitration hearings not going their way or um, just arbitration hearings happening generally. So uh, while I think Real Muto probably has a good chance of staying, uh, it's interesting to note that they weren't able to get a deal done. And they're headed to arbitration now. Uh, Pirates, I got some quick stuff to talk about. Tyone got... 2.25 mil, which is good considering he isn't expected to play in the 2020 season. Uh, Josh Bell got 4 million, which is fine. He's not going anywhere. He's a star. I don't think you need to read into that at all. They just want to keep him probably at like a lower contract than uh, than they would when they signed him to a big deal because he's getting a big deal. There's like, there's no chance on my mind. And I remember, dude, I mean like personal anecdote real quick. I just remember the first, uh, first day when Josh Bell got called up, he hit a grand slam. I picked him up. I think it was a pinch at grand slam or he had one at bat. But I picked him up on my fantasy team, and he hit a grand slam, and that's the only time I used him that entire year. So it was just, you know, when it shows you all the stats at the end of uh, fantasy baseball, if you're, like, in a roto league, it shows you all the guys. And when they did for your team, it's just got Josh Bell. Four RBIs, a thousand, and a home run. He, he's great, though. You know, that's just a little tangent, but I, I love him. Anyway, um, Glasnow, uh, Tyler Glasnow got $2.05 million from the Rays, which I think is crazy because if he stays healthy 100%, he's going to return to form. Uh, I, I just like would love someone to show me an advanced stat or even like a more milk toast stat that shows me that Tyone, or I'm sorry, that class now is bad because he's not, he's going to, uh, I was going to say light pipe, but I mean, he probably will in the, in, in the regular season, right? He's, he's going to dominate. And I mean, they they could be a playoff team too, for sure. Uh, let's see, moving on. We've got Ken Giles. He got a $9.25 million deal, which is nice, uh, for him, um, because of that incredible season he was coming off of two years with like a above four era before he had that 1.89 year um i'm pretty i was gonna say unsure but i think i'm i'm pretty skeptical that he'll be able to repeat that um but i, I guess that's what arbitration is it is what it is right he'll he'll get something in that ballpark so it's better to settle 
than go to arbitration because his, his season was such an outlier and it was so insane last year. But I'm just like curious to see if Hector Rodon or maybe Giles will have a better year this year because, you know, with the different price points they're at, I, I'm just not sure. Rodon, I think we'll, we'll talk about him later, but he's at like a 5 mil or a 4 mil deal and Giles is 9.25. Just something to, you know, be interested in and look at. Uh, the last thing uh, is that... <laughs> I know it's a little taboo talking about Astros players right now, but Springer, and this is obviously going to slide under the radar because of everything else that's going on, but Springer got a $21 million contract. They avoided going to arbitration even after it looked like they were going to do it last Friday. Um, but again, this is going to get buried under all the other Astros news. The uh, uh, I'll talk about it later. The gate, the <laughs> I was going to say deflate gate, but the buzzer gate that we're talking about next or in a few minutes. Okay, let's move on to the next topic. Okay, so I was going to talk about uh, <laughs> the uh, the four-year deal uh, that Josh Donaldson got to the Twins, but I think we'll talk about Rodon since I talked about him in the last segment. Um, so yeah, Rodon signed a deal with the Diamondbacks about a week ago, you know, before arbitration, and it didn't get a lot of fanfare. It's a one million, uh, I'm sorry, it's a one-year, uh, $3 million deal. Um, it doesn't really move the needle on the Diamondbacks for me at all, but it's a great segue to get into talking about the Diamondbacks for the year, or my impressions of them heading into spring training, which pitchers and catchers report like in a month, right? So <laughs> I got to get on that, right? Uh, I've, I've mentioned the Diamondbacks a bunch of times, right? So I think it'd be a good time to talk about them just as an overview quick of the offseason it, since it's mostly done, right? Uh, the Diamondbacks were pretty close last year, but they traded away their ace and they've replaced him with Madison Bumgarner, who definitely isn't on the same level as Granky is, uh, currently at least. But I think Bumgarner can serve, uh, can serve as a serviceable ace, He's followed up by Robbie Ray, who I think is an okay to find number two, but I would love him to have him as a three for sure, if you know my opinions on Robbie Ray. Um, then I think the rotation kind of falls apart for me as a team coming trying to go into the playoffs. This is not a playoff caliber uh, pitching staff, in my opinion. It's Zach Gallen, Merrill Kelly, and Luke Weaver. Um, you know, considering the rotation, Luke Weaver, Robbie Ray, Madison Bumgarner, they all have injury concerns for me. Um, and I don't know if Zach Gallon is ready to be a full-time starter. I thought he was promising last year in about 80 innings, but I'm, I'm just not so sure yet, uh, especially for a team that wants to compete for a playoff spot. Uh, then if we move to the offensive side of the lineup, or the offensive lineup and the offensive players, uh, we have three studs, I think, Gattel Marte, Christian Walker, and Eduardo Escobar, but I'm not buying every breakout from this roster because a lot of these guys did break out last year. Um, if we just look at the one-year wonder of some of these guys... Uh, I'm not sure that the 31-year-old Escobar is worth. Is going to be able to repeat his insane RBI and home run numbers, considering he's normally a 20 home run guy, uh, especially in the past four years, which I think is you know pretty relevant. Uh, Christian Walker and Marte are young enough to where I'm not 100% buying into their upward and fairly sudden progression. Uh, at least in the case of Marte, I still think he could regress, but, but it could still be good. Christian Walker might regress to like a 20 home run guy and just not be anywhere near as good as he was last year. Uh, besides those three guys, there are a lot of question marks on the roster at catcher. Jake Lamb's supposed to be the thir starting third baseman, but I don't think we've seen a hype train run on Jake Lamb since 2017, right? Uh, I don't know if their outfield can still can stay healthy. They have Peralta and Cole Calhoun, who are both 32. They aren't the picture of health, and I don't know if they're their picture of good baseball players either, right? Uh, I'm just concerned this team is going to be stuck again around 82 games this year. Uh, but I'll look into it more in the offseason for sure, for sure. Uh, let's move on to the Donaldson uh, news next. 
Okay, so let's talk about Donaldson. He signed a four-year, $92 million contract with the Twins, which averages out to about $23 million per year. The Twins' defense uh, was pretty bad this year, so they should upgrade them at third base 100% with Donaldson, uh, who's not a bad fielder in and of itself, obviously. Uh, I'm expecting some regression, though, in terms of home runs this year, since while his fly ball rate hovered around 37%, uh, in 2018 and 2019, and his home run rate jumped from 17% to 25% in 2019, and his infield fly ball rate up went up last year. He's 34 years old, so I don't expect these numbers to keep moving in a positive uh, direction considering his career numbers, uh, but Donaldson's an extraordinary hitter who showed he can still do it last year on a prove-it contract from the Braves. I'm very surprised he didn't go back to the Braves, to be honest. Uh, but, you know, anything's possible with Donaldson. He's shown, especially with his time in Toronto, how impressive of a player he is. Uh, I, I certainly believe he can be a useful uh, hitter for the reigning AL Central champs. Uh, and so I'm thinking, I was thinking originally they'll probably move Sano to first base. Uh, Sano is pretty bad at third base uh, defensively, so getting Donaldson in there should uh, plug up a pretty big gap on the infield. Uh, as I mentioned before, uh, I think regarding Donaldson's fantasy impact, he's a high-risk, high-reward guy. You know, he can get hurt, obviously, like he was before he signed with the Braves, but we could see what he can do when he was 33 at 37 home runs, knocked in close to 100 RBIs. Um, he's pretty high-risk, high-reward if he stays healthy. Uh, I think if the Twins even come close to a fraction of what they pulled off last year offensively, Donaldson can fit in really well in this power-heavy lineup. Uh, he'll likely see plenty of opportunities for RBIs and runs being somewhere in the middle of the order and replacing CJ Crone. Okay, so before we get into the big old drama that I have got, uh, I haven't really covered it yet. Uh, I covered it a little bit on Twitter, but that doesn't uh, count as much, I think, right? Um, well, I just want to get into the Cardinals trade that happened a few days ago. Um, I don't think I really got that much talk about it before, but Jose Ramirez is finally moving to an AL roster. Uh, that needs batting help for sure, especially the DH position, which I think he'll slide into nicely. Um, pretty huge fan impact for him. He's never been a full-time DH, obviously, because he's been in the NL with the Cardinals for his entire uh, MLB career. So moving him to the AL will be great. I'd love to see what he does as a DH there. Uh, the, pitching po uh, the pitching prospect, that's a tongue twister, say that five times fast, pitching prospect. Ugh. Uh, well, anyway, the prospect that the Cardinals got was a 20-year-old pitcher named Matthew Liberatore. Uh, Liberatore? so bad at names uh he isn't he wasn't considered a top five prospect um on a pretty deep raised farm system but uh he pitched at single a he looked pretty good with a 3.10 era 78 innings of work 76 strikeouts um I, I think he's considered to be an okay prospect but this seemed kind of like a dump for the cardinals so they can move up some guys uh to play outfield and just to get rid of jose martinez because they needed to move him he's getting close to a contract here and he's a little bit older now so his uh his ability or his price tag in the open market obviously slipping, and I think it's good they got rid of him. Although, I think that the Rays probably could have done a better job at acquiring. If they really want to acquire a better hitter, there are plenty left, like a Domingo Santana, that they could have acquired uh, through free agency. But maybe something fell through, and maybe they just wanted a cheaper contract. Uh, anyway, let's move on to the big news in the MLB from the past you know, week to two days, really. Okay, so big news. Alex Cora was fired, and Carlos Beltran was also let go mutually. Uh, Beltran was let go mutually, excuse me, um, according to sources, which I think obviously could be true, but there were a lot of others reporting that this was a forced decision from the club. Uh, the Cora firing seemed inevitable. I think his reputation is probably permanently damaged, and I expect, or I expected, not sure anymore because he's gone right now from the MLB, I expected the commissioner's officer office, excuse me, to render pretty harsh penalties. Uh, but, but honestly, getting back to Beltran, which I think is the real 
uh, bigger surprise and the bigger story. I don't think it had to be this way. The Mets could have rode out the outcry and kept their guy, but they didn't. And while I'm not a fan of the move personally, I understand where the organization is coming from. The fact that he is the only player specifically mentioned in the report is a huge dark mark on the club uh, that's looking to get into the playoffs, right? Since Beltron is a first-year manager, it kind of makes sense to me that the Mets thought he wouldn't be worth a follow considering he hasn't proved anything yet. Um, whatever uh, the decision you know, could have been, uh, they just decided to nip it in the bud before it became a giant distraction all year. For a team that is trying to make the playoffs, this could derail the team in the locker room somehow and... Even if there's like a 2% chance, I get why the organization wanted to get rid of this. Uh, but, you know, if if Beltran was replaced with someone like Joe Girardi, <laughs> he was my guy. Um, if, if someone like Girardi was implicated uh, by name in the report uh, and not punished, I would have been way more up in arms about it if the Mets had let someone like him go. But anyway, let's get down to the Twitter drama. I had no idea baseball Twitter was so, like, fucking all over the place, dude. It was crazy. Um, shit was, like, going off, dude, from Scott Brogius' son, to Gary Sheffield's son, to Carlos Beltran's burner account, to his niece leaking some information about Altuve, to things like Buzzgate and Altuve not having a shirt being taken off. There's pretty clear video of him saying, don't pull my shirt off. Uh, it's pretty big speculation, and, you know, it, it would be odd if I'm putting on my, like, big brain skeptical helmet. It would be odd if his teammates, like, didn't know or didn't remember not to reach a surf, if they were all in on this gag, that he had the buzzer on him. But there are a lot of pictures, there's a lot of speculation. I'm not sure where to begin, but man, did did baseball Twitter just really run with it, right? Like, we got opinions from guys like Araldis Chapman, Tre Trevor Bauer, Alex Wood, Trevor Williams, Jose Ramirez, Pete Alonso. Some pretty big names out there just tweeting about this shitstorm, right? Uh, the, the buzzer gate stuff is just, is just crazy though, right? Altuve's interview, um, about the shirt being ripped off where he's like, I don't want my shirt to be ripped off because like my wife thinks it's like indecent and I just don't want to do it anymore. It's just weird when there's a bunch of pictures of him on Twitter and a bunch of other pictures before this, like multiple pictures, not just one. And then he's like, guys, don't touch my shirt anymore. It's like multiple pictures of his shirt being ripped off in celebration. Um, it's just a little high, hard to believe that. Right. But Baseball Twitter last night, or a few nights ago, was, like, NBA Twitter, dude. It was insane. I suggest you subscribe to, like, the uh, baseball, like, uh, I guess, trend or whatever, like, moments thing that Twitter has, because that's where I got all, from, all my information from, and the other guys that I follow, the correspondents, and just, like, MLB reporter and commentators. I follow them, too, but, like, a lot of them, too. But, man, it was a crazy night. Uh, I just, like, if you want to go check out this stuff, I suggest you go to the Scott Brocious' son, Gary Sheffield's son, Beltran's. Uh, there are screenshots because I think Beltran's niece or supposed Beltran's niece, Twitter's private, but you can check out screenshots online of what she said. Uh, but like, I don't know. It was just very crazy. It was a very fun ride. Um, I can't really do it justice if you're not looking at it on Twitter, but, uh, if you were, you just know how crazy it was. Uh, anyway, so I think that's it for this quick little podcast that I wanted to do. Um, probably pick it up again after the, uh, AFC and NFC Championship games of the weekend. I'll definitely be drunk live tweeting that on Twitter. So if you want to follow me over there uh, at E S S E J T H E S L S is the S L. It's the Bacon Games Twitter account. You can check me out there, or you can check out the website BaconGames.com, and I'll just play out the outro that I got. So see you guys. That's it for this episode of the Bacon Games Sports Pod. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And follow Jesse on Twitter at E-S-S-E-J-T-H-E-S-L.